You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I have it on good authority that you're living in a camper van outside Geelong. Uh, well, you know, down in lovely regional Victoria, I think it's actually uh, legal for me to jump in the old camper van and uh, head down the road. But uh, I don't think I would be as heavily restricted in the this, the, the terrible living conditions that it sounds like the Collingwood Football Club is being put through in Western Australia. Yeah, the uh, the Collingwood, I don't, I don't know if they're complaining, but they're, they're definitely getting the message out there that there, there's not enough room in the resort for all of the staff to stay, so some of them are having to stay in uh, in camper vans on the outside of the Joondalup Resort because uh, there has to be only one person to a room and not enough rooms for all of their staff members. And uh, bad luck. It's a couple of weeks. I think you'll be all right. Listen, I, I've said, I said this yesterday, but for anyone living in Victoria right now, if you're not a Collingwood fan, I would imagine it's pretty hard to feel bad for these guys uh, right now because, again, we're not talking about the players that are in a camper van right now. The players have got their own room. They're in their own bed. They're fine. Uh, maybe it's it's some of the staff members that, uh, you know, I mean, they can get through it. They're going to get through this week, and I don't think they're going to have anything, any excuses or any reason to blame uh, the the hub set up or the accommodation set up or the quarantine if they lose this week. It's just, it, it's from both sides, really. West Coast as well. It's It's been overblown. They're talking about it too much. It's getting kind of weird. And again, if you live in Victoria, you're probably within your rights to feel pretty pissed off that they keep bringing this up. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit annoying to, to keep hearing about it. This, this to me is a non-story, but it's Collingwood, of course, so it's been bandied about everywhere. Um, but that's not what we really want to talk about here today, Kane, because there is other news about you know, potential returns for players. Um, Chris Mayne, maybe in the mix to come back for Collingwood. Jared Berry, uh, back for Brisbane. Uh, pretty big uh, changes to those teams, which uh, could have some real impacts in these games. Yeah, certainly Berry. I mean, he's been unbelievable this year. He was probably an outside chance for a lot of the year to, to be All-Australian, I think, behind... Uh, Lions and obviously Lockie Neal, he's been their most important midfielder. So uh, that is a huge in for them. He hurt that shoulder and it wasn't as significant as what it potentially looked uh, at first, but getting him back in uh, is going to be huge, particularly against the Richmond team that we know. They can cut you up a little bit from the midfield and they've been getting guys back. Cotchin's been back now for a few weeks. Uh, obviously, Dion Prestia are another guy that's going to roll through there. So they're going to need everyone. They're going to need everyone in there. And Barry's had a fantastic year. And as for Maine... Just coming back from the car crash, from the Crips car crash. Uh, obviously, a pretty uh, nasty incident there where he got the the facial injuries. But he's just a utility player. I think for Collingwood, they would love to have him back in there. Obviously, he's experienced, but they can play him across half back. He can go out on a wing a little bit. If they, you know things get really desperate, they can throw him forward. That's where he started his career, obviously, with Fremantle. So Maine, I think, is just... He's a good guy to have in your team in a final, a guy that you can play in multiple positions and can plug uh, different gaps if need be. Yeah, and you know he's hard at it as well, not just because of that Crips situation, but that's just sort of how he's built his career. And you're yeah. right, like back early in his time in Fremantle, he was that guy that you played half forward, kicked a lot 
of goals and was really instrumental in some pretty good Fremantle teams back in the day there. Um, yeah, Berry's also a massive one for Brisbane. He's been huge for this team. That's yeah, This is why I like the, the week off, Kane, because get, get these teams ah. back at full strength. Get Berry back, get Prestia back. Get these guys back who may not have played, and let's see the teams go at it at uh, as close to full strength as we can have it. Hey, let me let me ask you this though, quickly, just to jump in. Uh, you speak about the buy. I'm always going to be off it. I don't care. The Cats are getting back a couple plays this week. I don't really care. They should have just rolled through. But what Jonathan Brown actually said, I think it was Jonathan Brown. It might have been on the couch. Uh, I think it was. I don't know. I can't remember what footy show I was watching, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was Brownie. He said uh, maybe, maybe that, it was. Maybe you heard it on the Bill Simmons podcast when he was stealing ideas from Footy Classified uh, again. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you never know. You never know. You can't trust anyone in the podcasting game. I, I told you. A couple of the ideas we came up on here, just very suspiciously, uh, came up in news in the in the following days. But <laughs> Jonathan Brown, he said he, he didn't like the buy either. But he, if, if they were going to have a buy, he said that he would actually roll through the finals and then have the buy the week before the grand final and I'm even further out on that. Once you get into the finals and you get the finals rolling, then I think you know you don't want to have another week off in between the grand final, kind of like the, the Super Bowl situation. It's it's fine. I mean, you still have the build-up. It's it's great. You could probably have the VFL or the State League grand finals in between there. Like, I understand that, but I, I just think once you get the finals rolling, you want to keep it going. The problem with the bye in the first week of the finals, as we've seen, uh, it does impact the team that wins these first finals. They uh, generally... Start to start, uh, they start the prelim finals pretty slow after having two weeks off in in four. Yeah, that ha- that has been a problem. There's no doubt that that has. It's it's small sample size, of course. So it's been yeah. four years. Yeah, four years. This is the fifth year that it's happened, but that has been a, a concern that the, a little bit of rust might creep in with some of those teams. Um, on non-finals teams, we're right right in the middle of talking about players moving, and you'd be shocked to know, Kane, that Essendon is consistently up in the news about things that make no sense, about unrealistic demands and backs and forwards. And we saw this last year with Danaher and Fantasia going, they're leaving, they're coming, they're going. It's happened so many times. And now, um, yeah, Adam Sard, I don't even know where we're at with Adam Sard at the moment. No. He got a five-year deal, a four-year deal, a five-year deal. He's going to Carlton, he's back at Essendon. I, just tell me when he's got a jumper on and then I'm, I'm ready to go. But apparently they are looking at Basha Hooley to come back for a team that is as bad as what Essendon was this year. Why are they going back to get a guy that they delisted 10 years ago who's now 32 years of age? Do they think they're good? Do they think they're contending? I'm not sure what the idea is for uh, for Hooli, for Essendon to be making a play here. Yeah, it's interesting. It might actually say a little bit more to do with the fact that Essendon think that maybe they need uh, more players in there that have come from a winning culture or a winning team. I'm not sure whether the Bombers would be bringing in Basha Hooli thinking that he's going to lift them uh, to a premiership. I'm not sure whether that would be the case, but we do know that he's been a guy that's been a tremendous leader with Richmond and perhaps Essendon think that they need uh, some more players like that in their lineup. We know, I mean, it's just the way it is. The, they haven't got many guys on their team or on their list at all that have that have won, particularly uh, not only many that have played in finals, but many that have actually won a final. We know Essendon hasn't won a final for over 15 years. so Five and a half uh, thousand days. I mean... Uh, that's what I honestly thought when I first saw this. Like, does it necessarily make sense? Would I be going out of my way to sign Basha Hooli if I was Essendon? No. But it tells me that maybe they want a guy with a little bit of winning experience in the team. Hooli clearly, to me anyway, still has a couple of years left in him. He's obviously this year missed some time for, um, you know, personal reasons with everything else that's been going on. But when he's been in the team, he's still been fantastic. And if they can manage to keep Saad, 
then you know adding Hooley uh, across the halfback line would it would make the team better, no doubt. I mean, it's not a, a needle mover to the point that would lift into premiership contention, but again, maybe just an injection of a bit of winning culture. This is my thought here. This is this goes across all sports. Um, is uh, Richmond has been the best team over the last three years. I don't think that's really arguable. Yes, they've, they've won two flags over the last four years, maybe you could say. They're overall, the best, the best-performed team. Um, and Essendon really is going at, like, let's... Let's try and replicate Richmond. I believe they brought in some of Richmond's assistant coaches to install a Richmond-like mentality, a Richmond-like game plan during the season. Now it, it's, it stinks a little bit of like, well, Basha Hooley was a, a player that's won premierships for Richmond. Let's bring him in to be Richmond. But in general, when a team is having a dominant-type run, the way you beat them is not by mimicking them. It's not by imitating them. It's by finding the next way to do it. Because if you are coming to try and replicate what a team has done, you're almost invariably going to do it worse. And you never you, you might get better, but you're not going to beat them and you're not going to get to that high level because you don't have all those ingredients in place. It's not one assistant coach or two assistant coaches who made Richmond this good over four years. It's not a 32-year-old halfback flanker who made Richmond this good over the last four years. It's a whole yeah, a whole thing, a system, a coaching staff, a culture, the bunch of players, all that stuff matters. And if you're trying to just, well, Richmond's the good team, so let's take their players and take their coaches. I'm not sure that that is always the way to go. In general, the teams that then come up to become the next good team are the ones that try something different, that the teams have to adjust to, that the game then evolves towards them and they become the ones who get chased. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at another guy that's in a similar situation and clearly North Melbourne are a while back of where I think Essendon are anyway. I mean, do I think Essendon's going to be pressing for a premiership in the next two years? No, but I do think that they're can put themselves in a position where they could be in finals contention uh, next season. So they're ahead of where North Melbourne are, no doubt, but there is talk about Heath Shaw, who uh, GWS has moved on. He's not going to be playing for them next year. There's talk that he might go and play with uh, with North Melbourne under Reece Shaw. And I know that a lot of people say, well, this is kind of a strange one. But again, I think we're entering a really interesting time, particularly in 2021, maybe 2022, depending on what happens with the, the financial state of the game. But we're seeing all over the place that these teams are losing assistant coaches as well, developmental coaches as well. So I, I actually like over the last couple of years some of these teams that have added uh, the veteran experience that is, um, again, by them and their own individual footy. Is it going to lift a team to a premiership team? Probably not. But Luke Hodge, we saw in Brisbane, had a big impact with a lot of those younger players. Uh, they went and got Grant Birchall almost to replace Luke Hodge after he retired as well. Everyone spoke about how big of an impact that had. And Heath Shaw, potentially for a North Melbourne team that has got rid of a lot of experience, and I thought that that was the right decision. Uh, maybe Heath Shaw, you bring him in. He can be around the club. Uh, maybe he wants to move into coaching after he's done anyway. And this is sort of a transition for him where you almost get an assistant coach that's part of the playing list because the club isn't going to be affording to have those assistant coaches or developmental coaches anyway. So I do wonder whether we're going to see a little bit more of this where guys that you might think normally would retire, they might be at the end of their playing days if they hang around as a almost a uh, almost a, a playing developmental coach or assistant coach. I'm not sure. So that's why the, the, the Heath Shaw one to North Melbourne is a little bit weird, but I do think it makes some kind of sense if that's the path they wanted to go down. On the flip side of that, with the fact that list sizes are likely shrinking, 
do you want to waste a playing list spot when you are a rebuilding and developing team if you lose five players off the playing list size and then one of them gets taken up by a 35-year-old Heath Shaw who's there to just be a mentor rather than getting yeah, extra draft picks in or rookies or whatever it is to try and develop for them to be a part of your next good team. Uh, is that going to be worth it? I understand where you're coming from in terms of having that that player around. But if Sean Higgins remains, if Todd Goldstein is still there, if Cunnington is still there, they've got a lot of experienced players who have uh, had their struggles, uh, specifically Cunnington. Uh, and those other guys, we've criticized them not moving on from Goldstein and Higgins. We don't know whether what they'll do with them in this uh, coming trade period. But does taking that, that list spot away when you're already losing you know, potentially four or five extra spots on the list, is that... Is that good business? Not sure, but I'm not actually too worried about the 36th man on an AFL list. Like, I, I understand they're talking about shrinking the list, but honestly, uh, how many guys are on an AFL list that we literally never hear of them? And they never play a game, and they're really never actually that close to playing a game. So I understand, certainly, you can find a diamond in the rough late in the draft, a diamond in the rough in the rookie draft uh, with those rookie selections. There's no doubt about that. We see, uh, we see that every single season, but... You know, would I be concerned about you know one spot? Not necessarily, not necessarily. But that's that's just me. And I, I think that some of these teams, particularly North Melbourne, I mean, we're not talking about a financial powerhouse here. They're going to have to make some of these uh, strange decisions that potentially maybe they wouldn't have done uh, in years prior. That is that is very very true. Um, let's talk about something we teased yesterday, and that is. The AFL, I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen them do this before. Came to the AFL's thinking of maybe tinkering with the rules. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a new concept for them, but they're, they're trying something new. Um, there's it's always floated around. Now, one thing from this yeah, article and these quotes from uh, from Gil McLaughlin, which I guess at least I feel is a positive, where he said uh, he's told Steve Hocking that he doesn't want any zones or lines drawn on the, on the field to make the field look different. That's a positive, but he's not ruling out the actual idea of having zones or... You know, must keep four players within the Ford 50 at all times. Uh, you must you know, just a whole bunch of stuff to try and, uh, I don't know, appease people that complain for the sake of complaining. Yeah, what, what do we make of these these changes that we saw this year? It looks like they're going to go to 18 minutes a game next year which I, uh, per quarter. Uh, why? I don't know. Why, why are we moving to 18 minutes per quarter? I thought we were going back to regular... Uh, regular quarters. Um, they might do another footy frenzy, but what do we make of, yeah, I guess, the changes we've seen this year and the potential moves that they could look to do next year? Yeah, I actually don't mind it if they stick with 18 moving forward forever. I mean, I know we spoke about it a lot at the start of the season that the games felt like they were really short, but I think the longer the season went on, we adjusted to the lengths of the quarters. And I, I think more than anything, and this has been something we've seen over the last decade, I remember going to the footy when I was a kid, and quarter length, you know, if you were pushing into the late 20s, so 28, 29 minutes, you're expecting the siren to go. Over the last decade, there has been more stoppages that have crept into the game, uh, more uh, time on, and these quarters have been creeping into 33, 34 minutes, and that becomes pretty regular. So if you just bring back two minutes of playing time, I think you do keep it around that 27, 28-minute mark. I don't think we need to go any longer for the quarter. So I don't mind that. That's just me. And I, I think we kind of all adjusted to the length of the quarters regardless this season. As far as the zones go, I've always hated this. And I've said this all season long on the on the podcast that if you were going to make changes based around the game, this absolutely is not the season to do it. 
I mean, it would just make absolutely no sense because if we remember the first four or five weeks, everyone was talking about the state of the game. They're saying the game is dead. The game is done. The footy we're watching is terrible. No one wants to watch this style of footy. No one's really spoke about it the last few weeks or the last, really, the last 12 weeks of the season because what happened? These teams came back. They had a two-week preseason, and then they just went straight into home and away football. That's never happened before. That's hopefully, fingers crossed, never going to happen again. And we saw the longer the season went, all teams got better. All teams got better. Adelaide looked like they weren't going to win a game. They win three out of their last four. They played really competitive football. I think the standard of footy went up. And the biggest thing that I look at is the scoring. Everyone was so worried about the scoring. The average score in 2019 was 80 points per game. In 2020, it was 60. So you think about you, you lost, uh, they say it's roughly around 20% of game time. So scoring's gone down 25%. Uh, clearly, in the first part of the season in particular, the scoring was well down of that even 60. So they've sort of bounced back to around uh, the scalable mark that they're at in 2019. And you know, keeping in mind that the accuracy for both seasons was at 52%. So I just think that it was overblown at the start. And any talk of zones, I, I just, uh, why, why, what, why, why are you trying to do that? Yeah, hate it, hate it. To me, there is, there are fixes to certain things. The ruck nomination rule is the number one. Just get rid of it. Okay. Um, you figure out holding the ball a, a little bit more. Um, not, not yeah. this. You don't want to discourage people from from getting the ball. But the ruck nominations needs to go. I, I, I don't think anybody complained about third man up ever until they decided to get rid of it. So that was one of those things. I reckon if you just tried those two things and or not tried them, went back to them, I reckon you'd see the game change a little bit. What's, uh, people, and Kevin Bartlett is massive on this, people get really, really animated, again, people being Kevin Bartlett, about the interchange. Too many interchanges. Let's cut it back to 20. I why why do we care so much about reducing interchange? Why do we want a people are so I feel like people have a fetish about a one on one contest. They they fetishize it. Oh, it's so great one on one. One like we're watching a boxing match or something. They they want that. Let's make everyone more tired, more prone to injury, so their skills reduce, so that we can get a one on one contest. So kicking there means that you're at a 50-50 chance of actually losing the ball and having your opponent kick a goal. Why are people so interested in this and they think that, you know, that, that having fresh players and rotating through or the people are averse to tactics? Don't worry about tactics. Go out there and kick the footy. I don't understand why it's people are so anti the um, interchange. It's just we, We've got to reduce it way down. It's strange. I actually like the 6-6-6 rule. I think that it does take away... Um, your ability, obviously, if you're trying to hang on to a lead, different strategies, if you're really trying to halt momentum and you can't win the footy out of the middle, it does stop you from putting a player behind the ball. So I understand why, you know, some teams, particularly the struggling teams, may not like it. It may put them at a bit of a disadvantage, but it works right across the board. And, and I think that if you actually introduce zones, what you're doing is, as you sort of pointed to, Josh, you're stopping teams from coming up with uh, different strategies to find ways to get those one-on-one -on -one contests that you're talking about. And the team that and they've spoke about it all year is Geelong. And, and they've brought it up. Fox footy, literally, they can't go. Uh, I talked about Mason Cox in the prelim. But Fox footy right now can't go a show or a game without bringing up the term Hawkins Island. And, and it's become a bit ridiculous that they show exactly the same highlights every single week. But the point of that is that Geelong have found a way in 2020 to isolate Tom Hawkins inside 50. How do they do that? They keep him deep. 
They push the half forwards and the forward pockets up. They separate at least 30 metres of space between Hawkins and the nearest Geelong player, and they force the opposition to make a decision with, are they going to send a man back to Tom Hawkins? And if they do, the Cats have done a really good job of being disciplined at using the free man that is the short option. So what they've done is they've come up with a strategy to get around the congestion and still find one-on-one contests for Tom Hawkins. If you bring in zones and at all times you have to have a certain amount of plays in the forward half, then you take that out. And and honestly, yes, you're going to have more space, but you're just going to have more contests. I don't even necessarily think that it would work. And again, based on this season, it just seems ridiculous to me that you would bring something like that in. I, I don't know why we're rushing to do this. They've been trying to force it in over the last couple of years, and it's just it's staggering to me that after this season, with the way things have gone down, that it would still be a talking point. Yeah, I, I don't understand why you would be prioritizing something like this. You know, something else that gets brought up a lot, and I want to hear your take on this, because I feel like it gets spoken about a lot with maybe not that much evidence behind it, is that people who have been watching the game for a long time and consistently bemoan the state of the game are constantly saying, well, you know why it is? It's because they're, they're picking athletes and not footballers. Now... I don't think that's true. I think that players are better athletes now than they were. That that's pretty obvious. But how many times do we see someone who's who comes in just look, this guy can run well, but can't kick a footy or can't take a grab or doesn't know how to read the play? Like how many how many of those guys actually are out there? These are all nearly everybody. Yeah, outside of your mate Mason Cox, have just have played footy at elite levels their whole life, and they can kick, they can run, they can mark, they can do. Like it's not it's not. Let's find the greatest uh, steeplechase athlete behind Mark Lutzavs and throw them in and see what they can do. I just It gets thrown around so much, and I just don't know how true it actually is. No, I mean, there's no doubt that it's not only just that they're recruiting athletes, but the standard of the facilities are much better. The preseasons are much uh, harder, and they're tailored to what the players need to play the game. It's not just in the old days where you just run and run and run. It's a lot different, and there's always been. I mean, you can go back... And, and the same people that complain about 80s and 90s footy. I mean, I go back and, yeah, there's the odd bump and there's some pretty good, yeah, there's some entertaining aspects of the game in years gone by, but no one can kick. I mean, No, it's not, they can't it, kick. That's the, it, it, the kicking is terrible a lot of the time. Yeah, it's not, it's not really fun to watch and it's just like, oh, let's just bang it on the boot and get it forward. Like, it's not really an entertaining style of footy. So, yeah, we have stinkers. There's games that are stinkers. We know that. And it happens every single year. And this is the thing that gets me is that no matter what... A season of footy you're looking at over the last 15, 20 years, you know that there's going to be bad games. And and I still think of the games that we saw this year that I really loved, uh, some of the best games, the, the game of the year, probably Port Adelaide and Richmond, two teams in the top four. Another game that I thought was fantastic quality was Geelong and West Coast over at Optus Stadium. There's two teams that are premiership contenders, two teams in the top five. So nothing's changed. I mean, if you, if you tune in and watch a, a North Melbourne uh, Melbourne game, it's it's probably going to suck. I mean, that's that's just the way it goes. I mean, if you watch bad teams play bad, uh, football, it's probably going to be a low standard. But I still think when we've seen the best teams go at it against each other, uh, it's been entertaining. And it's not always free-flowing and a, and a goal fest, but sometimes it's entertaining in other ways, the struggle, the contest. And I don't know. I mean, I just don't think footy's that bad. No, no, neither do I, and uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's going all right. I think we we romanticise the good games and forget that there was probably fifty shit ones back in nineteen eighty two as well. Uh, probably even more more than that uh, throughout that year. Um, let's talk finals wildcards because it's that time of the show. We've got uh, four teams left. We're going to cover two of them today: Geelong and Richmond. I'll let you take your blokes first. Who's the Geelong player that we should be looking out for that can really maybe swing a, a finals game or, or a final series here for the Cats? 
Yeah, it's likely inclusion into the team this week. It's Reece Stanley. Uh, he's only played seven games this year. Uh, he has been a goal kicker in those games. He's kicked uh, seven goals in that time as well, multiple goals in a couple of those games. He can go forward. He can take a mark. We know he's an athlete. We were just talking about this, but he is a genuine Ruckman that plays as that fourth midfielder. The stat that stands out to me, now this, we know, and this is one of the things that frustrates us doing this show, is that we don't have access to all the, the champion data stats uh, that are out there. But I did write a story about Geelong and the way that they play football defensively and turn that into attack. This story was on 20th of August. So this is um, going back a little way here. Funnily enough, uh, Stanley actually only played a couple of games after this. So these numbers won't be too far off the mark. But at that time, Stanley had uh, contested 100 center bounces on the season. And his clearance differential in those 100 center bounces was plus 15. When Stanley's been in the middle, the numbers look really, really good for the Cats out of out of the center. And we know that if uh, the Cats win the ball out of the center, what that does is allow them to go back and defend in numbers. So Stanley, for mine, his ability to not only win clearances, uh, but uh, win the footy around the ground and kick goals, I, I think he could be a match turner. Um, okay, that's that's an interesting one. We haven't really seen him play much at all this year, but you're getting someone else in there to, to handle those ruck duties is going to be yeah, huge going up against Port Adelaide because he can change things. And he, although he was really impressive earlier this season, Reese Stanley, my guy I'm looking at is Brian Myers, who um, has been... Obviously, a guy that's a goal scorer is almost at a goal a game, but his accuracy has been massive. And we've talked so much about goal-kicking accuracy being a problem this season. He's on 16 goals three this yeah. year, which is yeah, ludicrous in terms of you know, how, how accurate you are being. He's not a guy that gets tons of the ball, but still, as a small forward getting 14 touches a game, kicking a goal a game, and not missing when you get those opportunities, and also getting almost two tackles per game, Putting a some yeah you know, a little bit of pressure uh, down forward. I think that he is that guy. That if he pops up, gets if he gets three shots a goal, you feel good. You're going to get three goals out of it with the way that he's kicked this season. And in games that can be uh, lower scoring and finals tend to bring that extra pressure. Someone who you feel confident is going to convert whether he gets a ball either as a set shot or he he picks it up in general play, and you feel good about well he's got it. It's going in. Uh, it's massive, and not not every team uh, has that player that they feel reliable. Or they feel is going to be reliable um, when they got the ball in their hands. Yeah, no doubt. Inside fifty, he's as dangerous as they come as a small forward. As for the Tigers, uh, Derek Smith. No, no <laughs> I, I won't go with Derek Smith. Who, by the way, uh, very disappointing. His season has tailed off. I was I was all in on the Derek Smith train earlier in the season, but I'm actually going with Daniel Rioli. Now, it's interesting because Rioli is a player that you think has had a, a quieter season, and he has. His numbers actually have been looking pretty good in the back half of the season, though. So uh, through his first eight games of the year, he only reached double-digit disposals twice. Uh, he only kicked five goals in those first eight games. On the, way, on the way home, for the rest of the season, he's been yeah, over 10 possessions every single game. His tackle numbers have started to come up. And the thing that I like about it is he kicked goals in multiple games uh, on the road home here, which was not what he was doing in the first half of the season. So he's getting the goals. Uh, he's also finding the footy. And I think that's a good sign for the Tigers coming up against Richmond. If he can get multiple goals for only the second time this season, the first time he did that was all the way back in round one against Carlton in March. So two goals, five tackles, 10 disposals. I think that could be an X factor for the Tigers. 
Yeah, finding a Richmond X Factor was interesting to me because we yeah. don't know what their team's going to be. There's plenty of players that can come back in. Shea Bolton didn't play in their last game of the season. He has been massive. I don't know if he really counts as a wild card considering how good he's been this season. I'm going to go with Liam Baker because... He's a guy that's been a regular throughout this team. He's you know, playing yeah, down back. He's getting a bit of the ball. But the big win they had against Brisbane earlier in the season, he was fantastic. He had 26 touches in that game. He had seven rebound 50s. He you know, dropped a, a big uh, super coach score of over 100. So he's a guy that if he can get uh, on, on the end of it a little bit, and be able to provide you know, some service to the, the midfielders and just be that really damaging running type option. Um, I think he's a, an interesting player. He's He hasn't kicked a goal this year. I'm not really expecting him to, to be uh, you know, moving forward and doing that, but he's a guy that you know, kicked eight goals last year. Could he you know, pop up and, and be a little bit of a, a change in plan for Richmond if they do get a bunch of these players back? But Liam Baker, massive game against Brisbane earlier this season uh, with those 26, which was a, a season high. And yeah, just a, a guy that really with his um, his movement ability, I think is someone that could create some problems. Yeah, I also found the Tigers a little bit interesting to look through the team. Also, just because they're so uh, they're they're so even across yeah. the board, it, it really just everyone contributes and everyone, or almost everyone in the team, is a premiership player as it is. So it's kind of hard to to, to pluck a random name out of there. But uh, yeah, yeah, Baker and Baker and Rioli for sure. Um, if you're talking about guys that are that premiership players, it's it's a little bit difficult to call them as you said a wild card, but uh, certainly going to be key factors. Yeah, like every name that I looked at, I went, I oh, know a Bolter, but like he's had so much like right. yeah press yeah. and how good he's been it's like is that a wild card because he's sort of doing it every week and we sort of know where where he's at the same thing with bolton like he's been fantastic over the last yeah, eight weeks or so really stepping up in that midfield role i was gonna say maybe trent cochin steps up because he hasn't been at his yeah. best this season yeah. but he's not a wild card because he's trent cochin you know what i mean like there's just these different these different sort of scenarios with this team that's not quite there for uh for a bunch of the others uh we'll be back to finish off our wild card series tomorrow and then we'll be back because footy is on tomorrow we'll be back to look at the first of the finals port and Geelong on Thursday night. Kane, I can't wait. Should be pretty damn good. It feels like it's been uh, too long since we actually had a game to talk about. And then, of course, on Friday, a game to actually wrap up. Yep, looking forward to it, guys. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Give us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Daryl Wakeland.